Hey, Knowles, welcome to Front Row. Knowles, as always, a big shout out to Seminole Boosters, longtime supporter of this program. Thank you to those of you who are Seminole Boosters and supporting Florida State Athletics. We are excited for the new year. Annual Fund, Bowden Society, Coaches Club, all almost to goal. So if you haven't stepped up already, I invite you to do so. And again, thanks to, to Seminole Boosters for supporting Front Row Knowles. With that said, and without further ado, here's this week's show. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Tom Block, Keith Jones, uh, as you're listening, uh, we hope that you and yours are safe. This is Front Row Knowles, and we know that Tallahassee and the Big Bend and the whole state of Florida really dealing with the storm so uh thinking about everybody but uh, kj you doing okay doing well doing well tommy football uh not top of mind at least for uh for this 24-hour period but certainly we'll be back to it uh this weekend and uh, you know it's funny I, I make the comment i don't remember this much anticipation for the start of an fsu season but that's not true because this is where we were when they played virginia tech and we're opening the the taggart era this is where we were the year before when they were playing alabama Florida State's played some high-profile season openers, but uh, this one does feel like it has a little more hanging in the balance, even though the reality is win or lose, all your all your dreams and goals are still out there. But but too much will be made of the victor and too little uh, for, for whoever loses this game. No question. And, and as our listeners will remember, uh, it was prior to, was it also Orlando against uh, Mississippi um, when, when they had, we had a storm come through? And, and so there's a parallel there about, you know, kicking off the season with storms all around you. Yeah, that was that was Hermine. And uh, well, not to get into hurricane trivia, but I did marry somebody from New Orleans and August 29th is the anniversary of uh, Katrina that comes up every year. And lo and behold, what have we been doing on August 29th this year, but looking at a hurricane in the box, right? Uh, we're going to talk with Kurt Weiler in our in our next segment and, and really get a preview of this game. But uh, before I ask him, Keith, I'll ask you, what what's your general feeling about uh, how Florida State matches up and uh, just kind of a, uh, you know, your your elevator speech real quick, your, your broad overview? I, I think this is a game that Florida State can dominate. Now, I don't mean that they win by three or four touchdowns, but I mean, I think this is a game where Florida State sets the tone early, controls um, uh, the, the pace, and I think this is a game that I, I certainly don't think FSU is going to run away with it, nor do I think LSU would. I think it'll be a closely contested game, but I think when you're through with the 60 minutes, you'll say the better team won and the better team controlled from start to finish. At least I hope that's the case. Well, anybody listening to this show has similar hopes. Florida State has been uh awesome in the city of Orlando at the stadium over the years and, and pretty doggone good against LSU too. I think uh, eight or nine and two all time, including your days, Keith, but uh, I'm going to give you your moment of glory right now. We're going to save it for later. And you can tell us about what it looked like when you watched the black and white game film from your, uh, from your big win over LSU back in the day. Uh, 16 millimeter, by the way. Take a break. Kurt Weiler joins us next on front row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block and Keith Jones. And finally, we get to talk X's and O's about a football game at long past. 
Week one is here. Let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to our Osceola insider, Kurt Weiler. Kurt was doing the happy dance on Zoom there because he, too, is glad to be able to talk about a game and not about just depth chart and conference realignment and everything else we've been talking about. How are you, Kurt? I'm good. You nailed it. I am ready to analyze an actual game. I have watched enough practice. As a quick side note, Keith, if you saw this yet or Kurt, but the ACC, we're taping this on Tuesday, and obviously it goes without saying, uh, wherever you may be listening, hope, I hope that you and yours stay safe during the storm. Uh, the ACC sent a release announcing that they had raised the flags in Charlotte at the new office. All 15 member institutions' flags have gone up, and I was just wondering if, like, there was an eject button on the Florida State and Clemson flagpoles, what, or, or if they were situated further outside and or did they do they have like 42 other vacant flagpoles right now for every other school they may accept in the conference what do you guys think well I, i'll tell you i hadn't seen the flags what i'd seen this morning i think i saw david hale is there at the headquarters today they had the collection of all the mascots in the in the lobby and clemson's there actually the one i really don't see and obviously it's not a football mascot so they may complicate things cimarron's not there that they have all the mascots. I see Otto the Orange. I see, let me see, like, I think about all of them, except for no Florida State representation. That felt a bit telling, for sure. My question was, where were they storing the future flags of uh, of uh, Stanford and California and SMU? I mean, I know, I, I assume they have them somewhere, don't they? I would presume. Uh, Kurt, I think that as we speak, uh, Osceola is aboard Renegade, and they are uh, rolling and running through uh, the Tar Heel State. And uh, if it's one, that means Big Big Ten, and if it's two, it's SEC. So that's what's going on right now as we speak. All right, it's enough some, about some that. Paul, Paul Revere-esque for sure. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, enough about that. So what? What's your? Uh, What's your general thought right now as we're a few days out from FSU, LSU? How do you feel? What do you think is going to happen? We'll start I mean, with I, the win-loss and how you feel about FSU, and then we'll dive deeper. I, I feel really good. I think, I mean, I, I was high on this team coming in. Obviously, I'm only seeing one perspective and having to rely on kind of what information is out there about LSU. I haven't seen them at all this preseason. But I feel good about the Florida State side of things. I had high expectations for this team, and and and, I, and honestly, I think they're higher now having watched better part of 20 preseason practices. Kurt, is it fair? Uh, well, probably not fair, but more reasonable. This will be a potential FSU big win from start to finish, or we have overhyped everything and it'll be a big win LSU. I am not convinced it, it, it goes. I mean, I think the important thing, if you're looking at it from Florida State's perspective, I think you feel good. It feels funny. I mean, I I am amazed that all the projections and 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 I think some of that's still being worked out seem to favor LSU fairly heavily. I think I saw one this morning that had a score projection of like 35 to 26 or something like that. Um I would be I it would be disappointing a little, obviously, because it's been hyped up, but I would also tell Florida State fans, I mean, as long as it's a close game and you're not like getting wiped out, which I would be shocked to see happen everything remains in front of you goals wise. Obviously you probably have to win the next 12 to be in that playoff conversation, but as, as great a statement chance as this could be on a national stage, 
it can't be the end all be all. I don't think the team will view it that way. And I'd encourage the fan base not to view it that way. It is a little curious to me too, that uh, definitely the national narrative, and I know LSU has been the favorite, but it's Florida state is sort of being dismissed and, I don't, and we're close enough to the program. We know that we can literally look at every position group and say it's a it's a better group than it was last year, I think. I mean, I, is there a group you would not make that argument for? Uh, no, no, not, no. Right, right. So we can look at it and say every position group for FSU has gotten better. And, you know, one of the things I think that's lost from last year you look back at the game and there's it, it sort of turned into this, well, if LSU was just better on special teams, they win the game. Or if FSU just converts when they get gifted the football at the 10 and the 15-yard line twice, it's not even a game at the end. Like that part that hasn't come into the equation. So I, I don't know how much you can really take from last year's game anyway at this point. Well, it's a totally different LSU team. I mean, I think there were so many questions about what that LSU team was last year. First game of Brian Kelly's tenure new coordinators, a lot of new players, new quarterbacks, so many unknowns on the Florida State side. And that's not true this year. I mean, we know that LSU returns a lot from a team that was really good. And you you do wonder if the SEC plays a bit into the expectations between the two and why that trends that way. I think that bias is somewhat inherent nowadays, where whether people realize it or not. But no, I mean, I think you're right. I think it's a, frankly, Florida State, dominated the first three quarters of that game last year. I think more than even the score indicated. And like you said, it, it should have been 31-17. A, a, a flukish moment happens that even gave LSU the chance. It felt karmic that Florida State blocked the point and win and won because they really, they should have won more comfortably. But yeah, no, I mean, it's there. there is much more known. And with that comes, I mean, last year was the, what are these teams? I think this year it's the, we think these teams are both really good. And for good, like there's reason to think they're both really good. It's not just unfounded. Kurt, there has not been much made of the quote-unquote matchup between uh, Travis and Daniels. But that is a game within a game. That's going to be an interesting thing for fans that really pay attention to. How, how well does Travis live up to the hype? And, and is Daniels gotten much better? For sure. I mean, Daniels is one of the few guys I think who has better Heisman odds than than Jordan Travis does. I think he's at like plus one thousand. When I checked yesterday, Jordan's at like plus twelve hundred. So no, I mean it's it's a very. I mean last year was to me. I wrote the column after. I remember kind of the the confirmation of oh yeah, Jordan Travis is that guy. Like he can be that quarterback. I mean it was his game where he didn't even really run that much. He was just in total command of the offense. It wasn't a hugely game where he was relying on the legs he was i mean having the, those new receivers he had made a big deal for him and jane daniels frankly did rely on his legs a lot i think he threw for like 200 some yards i think a lot of that was very late when florida state was kind of trying to just run clock if if, if memory serves i should rewatch that game in the next few days but no i think uh jaden i mean jaden led them in rushing last year jaden is kind of i think what people what jordan travis used to be or at least was last year of so much relying on his legs and Jordan's kind of become a more well-rounded guy. And I think the onus is now on is Jaden Daniels capable of becoming the same well-rounded guy. And does Jordan even have another, another level that he can find? I couldn't agree with you more on that because thinking back to last year, it was, uh, it was kind of an aha moment watching Travis and it started early in the game. He converted so many third downs. Yeah, where he would move the pocket or he'd scramble to get free, but he didn't automatically take off and run. He looked downfield and he he made several great throws in that scenario. 
And I've not seen Jaden Daniels do that yet. Now there's reports from New Orleans that he's had a really good camp and he's he's gonna but but to me, what I've seen, and it's a pretty small sample size, I can't claim that I've watched a lot of LSU football with him at quarterback. But I mean, when Florida State faced him and he was at Arizona State, it, it was if the guy's not open by 10 yards, throw it 40 yards out of bounds. And then last year, it didn't really feel to me like he was much more than if his first target is not open, just tuck it and run. Now, maybe he's progressed, but to me, that's the step he's got to take. Yeah, that's the challenge coming coming his way for sure. I agree with you wholeheartedly is he's got to prove that against, I think, what we think is going to be a, a really good Florida State defense that will probably get after him, that I think will make things hard in the secondary. And I think Kalen Deloach was a pretty good spy last year on him, and to be honest, if that's the approach again. Now, on the other side, this is an LSU defense. They will be out with their – they're without their star defensive tackle. Um, but this is a much better LSU defense going into this season than what we knew about the LSU defense going into last season. Yes? I, I think so. I mean, they did lose a few. I think they lost kind of both their starting defensive ends. And obviously, like you said, they're without Mason Smith. So it, it raises a few questions. Where they kind of, And I know they have some new pieces in the secondary. I think uh, – the, there's reason to believe the the ceiling is higher. I think there is some some unprovenness. I mean, I know they've also had some guys I think miss time, and I think I saw kind of the the one scrimmage uh, that the media got to watch. I don't think the uh, secondary had a very good day, so that does raise questions because that could be. I mean, if that if that is true, if there's some truth to that, that's a problem against what Florida State's going to be throwing at you from a passing attack way. The uh, the 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 game changer there is definitely Harold Perkins. Florida State didn't see him last year. I mean, he is a he was a freshman linebacker who, I mean, might be ready for the NFL now. Like he is, uh, he is pretty remarkable. I remember watching the uh, the Arkansas game that he I think had four sacks, kind of single handedly, almost one for them. I think I was in Syracuse watching that one last year, and so he's a uh, he's a heck of a player. They do have some other, I mean, individual talents. I'm interested with new pieces again. How the cohesiveness comes together in game one. And. Um. Talking about the secondary, just clarifying a little further, it's really the corners because they have their yes. starting safeties back and their, yes, and their number I mean. three safety is back too. So it's at the corner position where they've got a lot of new face. I think they're like a baseball team. They feel strong up the middle when Mason Smith is in there and they like their linebackers and they like their safeties. And then they got some questions out there. Well, what, what does this say? I don't know if you guys have seen these reports. Um, what does this say about the value of Mason Smith that – LSU has known about this for months to the point that they tried to rearrange their schedule and move the Grambling game to week zero instead of week four, I think they play him, so that Mason's suspension would have come before the Florida State game and he could play against FSU. Now, I don't know how that didn't happen. I guess Grambling didn't make it happen or it just didn't work out. But the fact that they spent months trying to rearrange their schedule so that Mason could play against FSU does that say that the rest of the D-line is not as good as what we may think of for an SEC or just that Mason's that good? It's possible. I mean, I think truthfully it didn't happen because don't you have to have specific – like, I don't think you could just say we're playing in week zero. I think there has to – you have to get a waiver. There has to be a reason. Like, Florida State got to play Duquesne week zero last year because Duquesne was going to Hawaii later in the season. There have to be kind of some rules that go into it. You know, there there has to be, but I think they – no parameter. maybe they play Vanderbilt yeah. this year who just played Hawaii. I don't know. I don't know LSU's full schedule. Um I'll look yeah, at it no, now I, while you're talking. But but no, I mean, it, 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 I think it does somewhat. I mean, it, 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 you you wonder what that impact, how how much of an impact that'll be, that'll be felt by him not being there. Because frankly, I think I mean, he only played, I think, was it the first or second FSU series last year where he got hurt 
uh, celebrating that play, but there was a noticeable before and after difference of, I mean, he was or in that early going very impactful. Defensive tackles aren't going to always be impactful in terms of getting sacks, but they get pressures. They blow up holes that are supposed to be there, things like that. And he was doing a lot of that. You felt his impact before the injury happened. So, and, and it was noticeable when he left. So I, I'm curious what the rest of that room looks like for sure. I mean, they definitely they hit the portal hard. I know they brought in quite a few defensive linemen and trying to address that. I do not play Vandy this year, so I don't know where the rationale would be that uh, they they could have had a week zero game. Maybe Brian they Kelly just, just told to. that to fans to, to yeah, say, hey, we hubris. put up a good fight. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to take the time to look that up. But so if you're LSU, I mean, you've seen FSU through fall camp, Kurt. How, how do you attack LSU? I mean, FSU defensively right now. If you're LSU's offense, how do you attack them? Um, I mean, I think the thing about Florida State, frankly, and Florida State upgraded there. So it, 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 Florida State has to prove that especially when Fabian Lovett's not on the field, it can stop the run. And there was a noticeable when Fabian Lovett's out there, when Fabian Lovett's not out there difference last year in the in the run defense. I think Braden Fisk changes that. I think another year for Josh Farmer helps that. I like some of the depth pieces there, but especially without Daryl Jackson, with Fabian, they're ramping him up. He was, he was, uh, Mike Gravel's talked about how we can kind of, we can, I could say he was a bit delayed in starting the preseason, had to kind of sit on that one for a while, unfortunately. But he, he's ramping things up, but you wonder, he's not going to be able to play a full allotment of game or of plays. I'll be interested kind of how many plays they, they think he's capable of playing Sunday. But yeah, I think uh, Florida State's run defense, because I mean, I think what will help. LSU tremendously if they're able to run is running to to set up the pass I, I I believe in what I've seen from this secondary I like what I've seen from the ends I know that LSU line brings everybody back those freshmen who were freshmen last year were uh the offensive tackles were much better by seasons end. I think they're both freshmen all-Americans so they they definitely are, are not going to be the same players Florida State placed face last year so they might be able to give Jane Daniels a little more time, but I think running the ball, if Florida State's able to stop the run, will will go a long way because they did last year, and I think that really made LSU fairly one-dimensional. Well, and, and within that, their only true rushing threat last year was Daniels. I mean, they've got to yeah. get some productivity out of their running backs. Yeah, because they had Emory was suspended, right? He right. came back later in the year and was kind of their primary back. So they they definitely missed him. And but you're right. I mean, it wasn't even design stuff for Jaden. It was play breaks down. Jaden Daniels takes off. Maybe the defensive end didn't set the edge as well as they should have and allowed a fair. I mean, he had that big one. I think on the first play from scrimmage, right? So yeah, if if LSU LSU feels like we'll need to have a a true a traditional running attack, and we'll see if they can do it against Florida State's interior defensive line. And flipping it the other way, Kurt, as we wrap up, do you? Uh expect LSU to pack the box and and the idea being let's make Jordan throw his way you know he'll have to throw us out of the of stack in the box probably I mean I've said all along with this Florida State offense I don't know how you stop it because the truth is I mean if you it feels like you're gonna have to play a lot of zone there's too much man is a dangerous precedent for how Jordan is as an athlete if you stack the box I think you have confidence in this packing passing attack and the many guys they have you don't stack the box. I think you think they're going to be able to run the ball well. So it is a it's a dilemma. I mean, Jaheim Bell said as much earlier this preseason. I, I don't envy kind of defensive coordinators having to prepare for all the options we have on a weekly basis this season because it's a it, it is no easy task. I read somewhere, guys. I, I know you can't compare last year to this year. Every team's different, et cetera, et cetera. But either the last six or seven games of the last season. FSU averaged 33, 35 points or more a game. And that's the longest streak in the country coming into the year. 
um, if they can build upon that momentum, um, it's going to be pretty special. So, Kurt, ballpark score in this game? Ooh. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 38-31 FSU. All right. So it's going to be some entertaining Sunday night television. It'll do a big number and we can call another meeting and tell the ACC about the TV rating that, that we drew in the game. Sure. They will wait for that phone call with eager anticipation. Yes. Kurt Weiler, our Osceola inside. All right, Kurt, we'll see you in Orlando. All right. See you guys. More front row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles and good conversation with, with Kurt Weil. Let's go back to this, Keith, and, uh, you know, processing the, the, sort of the national perception on this. I think what it is is the SEC is the big bad bullies that's always the best conference, especially at the line of scrimmage. If you look back at Florida State's last two games last year against average Oklahoma and Florida football teams, FSU did not fare so well at the line of scrimmage. Now, they won both those games, but I think that is, if you dive in, that may be where a lot of that national perception is coming from. Do you agree, disagree? And then we'll talk about where Florida State may be better at the, at the line of scrimmage. Yes, for some of it. And again, even at the tail end of last year, FSU was still experimenting is not the right word, but uh, you know they were shuffling some people around on their offensive line. Uh, that's evidenced by, if you read the, the press release uh, that was uh, the game release, you know, FSU's got 300 and 20 games and 210 starts amongst their offensive line group. There had not been anything really solidified. That's not the case going into this season. You've got, uh, you've got your starting five and you got three others. You got eight guys that you can count on. And I think the other part of it is on the defensive line, we got to remember that verse was out for a game or two and he was a little nicked at the tail end. Uh, Love it. Uh, you know, was, was nicked at the tail end. Um, you know, that, that defensive line was, was showing the wear of having to play 10 and 11 and 12 games. So, yes, I think it's a fair criticism and a justified criticism to say that, you know, FSU didn't meet the SEC standard, uh, if you will, at the line of scrimmage towards the tail end. But that's not going to be the case come Sunday night in, in, in Orlando. That might be the case in, in game eight or nine or 10 of the season once it's worn on. Uh, but it won't be the case from the outset. Well, certainly Florida State is catching a break in that Mason Smith is out suspended for this game. And uh, we talked about that with with Kurt. But uh, to your point about the offensive line, there's no doubt that Florida State is deeper. And and you just look at last year when Bless Harris gets hurt against Duquesne, you, you really had one other guy that you felt you could put in a game and you put him in the rest of the year. And that was Darius Washington. And you had nobody else after that you wanted to play. Now, if somebody goes down, you've, you've got other, you've got several other capable bodies. That said, I don't know that you put, there's any combination of five that has NFL scouts drooling. You don't have four out of five first round draft picks out there. You've got really seasoned, veteran, experienced, uh, then serviceable. Serviceable is doing a disservice, but, but they're not all world. Is that, is that accurate in your mind? 
that's accurate. And the other part, and I'm, I've not really dived into this, and I certainly haven't heard um, Coach Norvell discuss it, uh, but, you know, with this Norvell offense, what is asked of the offensive lineman is certainly much different than tr the traditional run-oriented and or pass-oriented offenses. Now, again, that may be the case for a number of these other, you know, installations that have been made over the years with these, uh, you know, more, you know, the old-fashioned fun and gun, if I can use Coach Spurrier's uh, terminology, where you're, you're doing things wide open. So, you know, the, the off you know, offensive line at, at Memphis, the offensive line here at Florida State hasn't drawn a lot of attention from the next level because the offense is different than, than, than it's done at the next level, uh, even though you would look at Mahomes and, and those guys and think that but it's, it's different. And as a result, you know, they're not getting a lot of the notoriety. Plus, that offensive line hasn't been that good over the last four or five years. We don't, we don't have a Walter Jones that's still in the NFL or Rodney Hudson that's still in the NFL or whatever. And so it's going to take a while for that reputation to, to ease back up. Well, and that's part of what makes it hard to judge camp. You go out to practice and, and everybody's raving about FSU. And uh, this concerns me a little bit, Keith. I've never heard a group of coaches, starting with the head coach and the coordinators, all say, and I'm paraphrasing, but they basically all said, yeah, this is the best camp I ever remember being around. I mean, that's you don't normally hear that kind of truth. Usually you're finding some fussing and some picking and we had some good days, you know, cause you're trying to, to leave a little motivational edge in there, but uh, everybody across the board seems to think they really put it together. But, but my point is, so you look at FSU's offensive line and we can clearly say that's the best offensive line group Florida state's had in a long time, probably since 2013, 2014. But that in itself doesn't mean that it's an offensive line that's good enough to beat LSU's defensive line or Clemson's defensive line. Well, the, the thing you can rely on is your skill guys might be able to do it on their own, just as long as the offensive line isn't a negative, uh, because that wide receiver group uh, with uh, Benson and, and LT uh, and even the young kid uh, uh, with what Jordan can do, you got four really, really talented tight ends, um, you know, what's asked of that offensive line in theory might be a little different than the ask of years prior under Norvell as well. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I love Atkins. He's, he's been a miracle worker with that offensive line and I, they, it's a good group and where they are now compared to where they were three or four years ago. He made a comment to me one time, Keith, uh, who was the kid that uh, thought that flirted with FSU and stayed at Georgia Mims, I think, you know, they recruited him from early on blue chipper. And uh, the basic tenet of the uh, premise of the conversation was Mims hadn't started a game at Georgia. He's three years out of high school. They're so stacked, they, he didn't need to start. So he's had three years to, to learn how to be an offensive lineman in college. And uh, Atkins didn't say this, but you could kind of see that his mind is processing. That would be nice to have that luxury because I've had to force everybody in. And now the guys that are the veterans, like Maurice Smith and Dar Darius Washington and Robert Smith, you know, they've made the comment they wish they had guys like them when they got here so that they weren't forced in. But the bigger point is to the guys that are behind them now, they do have that luxury because Florida State finally has the depth at a, at a standpoint where the young guys can mature. And again, you know, not not that this offense is so complicated and it takes so long to learn it and the installation is so broad. But what you're asked to do as an offensive lineman at Florida State is a little different than maybe you maybe you 
or ask, particularly at the high school level, but even at other universities. So, you know, learning to do it the way Norbell and Atkins wants you doing it, you know, is just going to take some time. And it's much better uh, to be doing that as a junior or a senior and the opportunity to learn as a freshman and a sophomore than to, to have that learning experience in a game. Go back to a comment I made. I asked Kurt, uh, just made the comment that Florida State's better at every position group. Well, that assumes that if you start with the quarterbacks, that Jordan Travis is going to be better this year than he was last year. It stands to reason that's the case. He had a great camp. I don't think anybody's going to question that the receivers are better based on who they brought in and Destin Hills come out of nowhere and Winston Wright is back and Keon Coleman transfers in and Johnny Wilson's doing a better job. I mean, they're stacked there. The tight ends are clearly better. They brought in two guys, both of whom would have started over Cam McDonald last year. And Marquiston Douglas is, is uh, you know, he's good enough to start too if those two guys weren't here. Uh, I guess you could make an argument if you wanted to that running back maybe collectively is not better because you don't have Trayshawn Ward, but I'd argue that Trey Benson's going to be better in year two than year one. Toa Feely's going to be better, and somebody else on that in that backfield room is going to give you what Trayshawn. And I'm not doing That's justice, the, but remind me of the freshman's name. Rodney Hill. Hill. Let me tell you something. You could start Hill and be just about as good as anybody. He just doesn't have the experience. And then just quickly working through the defense. So safety might be a position you would argue is not better because you've lost Jamie Robinson. And I, the two guys you have are experienced. I don't know if one of them needs to rise up. We're waiting for Shaheem to do it and maybe become that next all ACC guy. Corner is clearly better with who they brought in. And uh, Keith, by the way, the, the freshman class of DBs they brought in this year. Is Amazing. Really, Amazing. Really, really good. I mean, linebacker is is better. It's the same two guys. It stands to reason they're better. I'm working my way up. And I think both segments of the defensive line are better, too. Uh, here is the thing, and, and Norvell was optimistic this week about it. He's still optimistic that they'll get some positive news about Daryl Jackson. And uh, it would be huge if they did. And, and hear me out. Obviously, he would help the tackles. But I think where it would help is it would allow you to then take some of those tackles like a Fisk or a Briggs and move them outside in certain packages, and it would really help your ends because you've got verse. And I know Peyton was ACC Rookie of the Year. I'm not sure what you have beyond them, and you need more productivity there than just those two guys. And there are certain packages where you want five defensive linemen you know, short yardage and goal line and that type of thing. And while you've got plenty of bodies, it would certainly be nice to have that big old body because that's a man. You know, if, if he never plays at FSU, he'll have a real good shot at playing at the next level. I just hope he nope. gets to play at FSU. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I, I you know, obviously if, he, if he's eligible, he's going to help the D tackles. But in a weird sort of way, I feel like it might help the D ends more because of the flexibility it would, it would allow them with what they could do. It certainly helps the rotation. Um, we, we'll talk more about the uh, – well, let, let's go – did anything jump out at you when you saw the depth chart released earlier this week? Um, you know, only that uh, evidently they're going to stay with Fritz as the place kicker. Uh, there was no or there. Um, I was I was a little bit surprised to see Hill uh, technically listed as a starter. Uh, so hats off to him. Um, I didn't see as many ors. And for our listeners that don't know what we're talking about, that's just one of the things that you do in today's world is you list, you know, you list Tom or Keith as the starter. 
and there were a few of them, but Tommy, I ask your opinion. There weren't as many as I expected. I mean, no, no, I agree. Snapshot. I, I, there's some clear cut starters there. Yeah. I expected to see more, uh, as well. Um, you know, one thing that did jump out at me and looking at it, and, uh, I thought I had counted up the number, but I don't see it, but there's maybe 13 red shirt seniors that are on the, the two deep either side. And most of them are first team, maybe 11. It's been a long time since Florida state's had 13 and they're not just fifth year guys. Some of them are six year guys. I mean, we've gone from FSU being one of the youngest teams in the country, which is sort of one of those stats you trot out there when the results aren't that good to say, Hey, we're pretty young. Well, well now we're on the other side of that coin. When you count up how many fifth year or red shirt senior guys are out there. And what that begs, and this is a conversation for way on down the road is, is what happens in 24. Did you successfully recruit and are you developing players that can step in both from an actual uh, athletic and, and, and uh, versatility standpoint, as well as it, some limited experience so they know what they do. And then that goes back to the, what you recruited, what you got in the transfer portal. And I will go ahead and answer that question. We'll cover it a lot more once the season's over, but yeah, I like the development. I like the kids that are behind. You know, if, if you've got a redshirt senior that you have to play 60 snaps, and then you only play a backup 20 snaps, that's a different scenario than if you're playing the uh, redshirt senior 55 snaps and the number two person 25 snaps and the number three guy 15 snaps. That's a far different program. Uh, my senior year, my senior year, I played 96.2% of the snaps. I was on the field all the time and we had a great year and FSU went six and five the next year because we, we had not developed the backups. We just hadn't done it. And so that's a conversation for 24, but that's also part of what I look at when I look at the program and what Norvell's doing, what Adam's doing on his side, what Atkins is doing on his side. You know, they're playing kids to get them ready. And I like that. Yeah, that is a conversation for down the road. I, I would say you're gonna need, they're doing great in high school recruiting right now. They're gonna need some portal guys to, to help because Here's the list. I mean, just think about how much these guys are going to contribute. Redshirt seniors, Jordan Travis, uh, Winston Wright, who's going to be in the mix, uh, Casey Roddick, starter at guard, Demetri Emanuel, starter at the other guard, and he's a seventh-year guy, uh, and Bless Harris, who you know is going to play. Those are the offensive guys. Defensively, you got Braden Fisk, Fabian Lovett, so there's your D tackles. you got Tatum Bethune and Kalen DeLoach. There's your starting linebackers. You got Jarian Jones and Akeem Dent and Renardo Green. So that's three-fourths of your secondary. So there's a lot there in, in a lot of key positions. Um, but I do I do like some of the younger guys that are coming up. Here, last question on this, and then we'll save our last segment to talk about the wonderful uh, expansion of the ACC, potentially, as we're talking. 6'4 punt returner Keon Coleman. You like? You don't like? What do you think? I, I don't know. And the reason I say I don't know is I don't recall ever seeing that. I mean, I, I, I've been looking and I've been thinking and certainly, my, you know, my brain cells aren't what they used to be. But normally you put a 5'9", 5'10", 5'11", scat back back there. You, you take the 6'4 guy and you put him on kickoff returns because you want to run fast in a straight line. A punt returner has got to have a little wiggle. Um, you don't have a lot of wiggle in 6'4 guys. 
but I'm excited to see it. There's a reason he's there. He's, he's proved himself in practice. So there's a reason he's there. It's a little unusual, but I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, it's sort of like in baseball. Shortstops didn't used to be big guys. You know, your middle infielders were smaller, more diminutive. And then we found out that you could be 6'4 and 215 and you could play short and be pretty good at it, right? Yep. It gave you more range and you did some things. Uh, it's going to be interesting. And uh, he, he, he might have a very instant, immediate impact. He might be that good. All right. Uh, some final thoughts. We'll talk ACC and, and where the conference is headed right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. So Florida State and LSU coming up on Sunday. We're all eagerly anticipating it. I'll see many of you down there. And uh, Keith and I will be back. Should point this out, by the way. KJ and I always do a wrap-up show. And uh, we've done that the last several years. That'll air. It'll hit your podcast feeds on, uh, in this case, Monday. But generally on Sundays after the game. And we'll do that again. Keith, we probably need to figure out a time we're going to do that. Agreed. We'll do it again. We've been doing it for for many years now. Um, all right. Let's as, as we're recording right now. The ACC is in in ongoing conversations about adding Cal and Stanford and SMU, which makes zero sense, but it might make a few dollars, which at the end of the day, I guess that's probably why you do it. What's, what's your general thought about what's being discussed? Well, twofold. Number one, I personally believe there would have been a vote had the tragedy at North Carolina Chapel Hill not occurred because there was a call scheduled by media reports uh, amongst the presidents. Uh, number two, since the last time you and I talked, we didn't talk about it much, but you know, it's come out that SMU said, we don't really want any money. And Cal has said, we'll take a lot less. And Stanford has said, we don't want any money. And so the additional funds that would be generated by, uh, you know, adding Texas and, and California and the old blueprint, blueprint you know, is going to generate 70, $75 million annually. Uh, maybe you only got to give away 20 or 25 of that. So that leaves you another 50 million in the pot. And uh, if you focus on Clemson and FSU and one other, uh, that could be as much as 16 or $17 million uh, on top of the nine or 10 that you were already going to do under the uneven revenue split. Uh, I think it's going to happen, Tommy. Uh, I think what the ACC has recognized is that if FSU and or Clemson leaves this year, next year, five years from now, there's not enough left for them to be a viable power five conference. And I'm not suggesting that adding Cal and, and, and um, Stanford and SMU makes it that way, but it gets them a little closer towards it. Um, I'm not terribly high on it for all the reasons you and I've talked about travel, um, but but geographical stuff, we, we recruit nationally now, Tommy. So when you're when you're looking at the roster from Florida State from 30 years ago, they were Florida, Georgia, and Alabama kids. When you looked at the roster from Michigan, they were upper Midwest. If you looked at the roster for, for California, they were West Coast guys. Well, now you recruit nationally. I hate it, but it looks like we're going to be playing nationally when it comes to, to conference schedules. Well, you know, originally when this was talked about, there was I saw some reports that it was just going to be Cal and Stanford football, men's and women's basketball, and the rest of their sports 
would stay out west, which would make a lot more sense for the obvious reasons. I, I don't know if that's on the table or not, but uh, Florida State has, has not that Florida State cares. They've taken a beating nationally because they're the ones who are, are saying the quiet part out loud, right? Uh, nobody, nobody's mad at Colorado for 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 blowing up the entire Pac-12 by just leaving on a day's notice, right? Meanwhile, everybody's angry at FSU, and FSU has clearly sent notice that at some point they're going to get out. And what I'm about to say doesn't change anything. This is this to me is akin to if your boss wants to give you a raise next year and pay you five percent more, even if you're still planning to look for another job, you're going to take the five percent more while you look for another job. But in February, FSU was really vocal about where this was headed in terms of the, the TV revenue and, and where the ACC falls short. And what did the ACC do? They came up with the success initiatives at the May meetings, right? Now, we don't know what that looks like, but FSU spoke, the ACC changed its, its distribution or, or came up with a new plan. Then FSU in August opened its mouth again, and lo and behold, here's the ACC reacting again and trying to get more money. So you may not like the way the sausage is made, uh, but but Florida State has been pretty vocal twice, and twice now it would appear that the ACC has responded. Well, one part about that, what the what FSU has said is the way things are currently, we can't stay. FSU's never said, we don't care what happens, we're leaving. That's a subtle but very distinct difference, uh, and nobody at the national media wants to pay any attention to that. Well, I mean, if they would just take the Stanford and, and Cal and SMU dollars and split it up between Clemson and FSU, Florida State wouldn't be conference shopping right now. I, I, I That was kind of the point I was making. I didn't quite get to it. Thank you for succinctly wrapping it up. Yeah. Well, I had to because the clock is ticking here and I, I need to shut up. We're out of time, folks. Uh, we'll be back to recap the LSU-FSU game. Stay safe. Uh, enjoy the football uh, this weekend. And KJ, we'll talk soon. This is Front Row Knowles.